How do we start this? <laughs> what do we say? Welcome back. Oh my god. Uh, that was bad. King that was Kong terrible. Don't, yeah, don't. no, what, what was that? I... <laughs> this this is what we're doing. No. This is how we're coming we're back from our, start, our, our pandemic start again. break. Start it over. No, okay. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. Right. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back to our dozens of listeners. We thank missed you. you. We thank, missed you. Thank you to all of you. Yeah, no, we honestly... I am so appreciative of all 36 of you. <laughs> it's very, very comforting to I mean, know honestly, that anyone is listening. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know exactly how many. I just, I once asked, like, Dax is the one who actually, it's not like... far off. <laughs> Dax is the one who actually looks at our subscriber numbers. <laughs> I just kind of show up on the day. Um, like, for the record, this man handles all of the engineering and, like, I've been sitting here for, like, the last 20 minutes as he plugged in cables to things. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> I'm glad to be back. And I did once ask him, how many listeners do we have? And he said, oh, dozens. And so that's just like, that's what's in my head. So thank you to all of our dozens of fans. Uh, I do mean that like also not in a joking way. I'm appreciative that anybody is listening at all. Of it's, course. It's yeah. very, very nice. Um, but we are we are small for now. But we are mighty. But we are mighty. <laughs> and this is, I'm going to call it, this is season two. You know what? Why not? <laughs> there, it's totally arbitrary. There's no real rationale. But this is season two, baby. Welcome to season two. We are back and just as good as before. <laughs> and hopefully better. We're recording this in person, finally, at long last. Um, at and, long last is lasting pretty long. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have two... Mics in our hands, sitting in front of a TV, and are going to watch. And this is probably the first time we actually have had this recording set up because I think when we initially were recording, I so long ago didn't even know what I was doing, and we just said we had the Zoom set down without any mics plugged into it. And e even better than that was the <laughs> fact that the only way we could get our headphones to work so that you couldn't hear the movie on our recording was I had to plug in a whole separate. Uh, like surround sound receiver to my TV that had a headphone jack and then just do a whole bunch of rewiring of my entertainment system every time we sat down to do this. Really what I'm telling you is like I've bled for you and I want you to know that. <laughs> but then like trying to do it over um, on cast and, like while streaming it on our own separate ends was its own set of of issues at times where it's just like you couldn't control if the movie maybe paused a little bit on the other person's end and so or if you know one of us occasionally sounded like a robot not naming <laughs> names not naming names i think it was a driver's issue i think you didn't have it set to asio or i'm something sorry like i'm that. a very good driver thank you very much <laughs> this is getting very inside baseball let's get inside the jungle instead <laughs> That is that segue not make any sense? I'm not giving you that. No, <laughs> you could have gone with inside the wall. Like, all right, whatever. Well, anyway, welcome to as we've previously decided, season two. We are sitting down to watch uh, what is probably my favorite movie of all time, um, the 1933 King Kong, directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shudzak, written by Ruth Rose. This is, as far as I'm concerned, this is one of the most important films in cinema history, and I will go into depth as to why as we go. But, uh, yeah, welcome. Yeah, welcome. 
and uh, get your copies ready because we're going to hit play in but a moment. Let's have a countdown here. Do you want to count? Yeah, I'll count down. All right. All right. Three. I believe in you. You can do this. Three. <laughs> three. Two. No, I'm laughing because I said three yeah, twice. that's not how you count. That's not how you count at all. All right. Real countdown. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. There we go. And we've got the, the beep, 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 beep. So the Morse code is literally spelling out the letters as they show up. That's great. And then at the very end, that was the Morse code for V three times. It's V for Victor. That's cool. Yeah. A radio picture. Radio picture is King Kong. Uh, and to be clear, there are some versions of this movie that have an overture beforehand. We are not watching this with the overture. So just just so you know, in case you want to you know, jump in at the right point, we'll as give, you should. We'll Otherwise, give, it's going to be all off. We'll give a couple more sync points as after the credits. <laughs> so Willis O'Brien here, uh, chief technician, he's the guy that did all of the stop motion animation and all of the technical stuff for figuring out how do you have real people interact with stop motion puppets. That's cool. Yeah. Real groundbreaking stuff. Uh, the music is by... Max Steiner, here we go, uh, generally considered to be one of the best scores in cinema history, and Murray Spivak doing sound effects. This movie came out only three years after sound was a thing, and <laughs> so you have to think, like, he had to figure out what do dinosaurs sound like? Like, there was no idea of what dinosaurs sounded like before Yeah, because even though you had had dinosaurs show up in movies, like... They were Gert, silent. Like Gertie. Or, um, you know, The Lost World. <laughs> I like, I went to, the, like, <laughs> the cartoon 2D. And the prophet said, And lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty, and it stayed its hand from killing, and from that day it was as one dead. Old Arabian proverb. Complete and total bullshit. <laughs> is it really? Just, yes, it is. It's yes, not. It was made up for the movie. It's totally made up. Of course it was. It came from the East. The Orient. <laughs> the mysterious East. Because, you know, the 30s and <laughs> terrible. <laughs> uh, now we're in the harbor and uh, old person. Old New York. Old guy walking towards the... If you, if you listen very closely... You hear that rumble? That's actually the uh, soundproof box that the camera's inside of being rolled across the floor to push in for them. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Early sound required them to have the camera in a soundproof box because the cameras were so goddamn loud. See, Adam knows a lot more about this particular film and about this era of cinema than I do. So I'm, I am leaning on you a bit for <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do it and honestly it's it's funny to me because like most movies that we watch for this like you know either we know them pretty well or like we do some research beforehand try to anyway uh this movie i just know inside and out and so anytime someone watches this with me this is basically the experience so, <laughs> just so you know but you get to hear it as well, listener, <laughs> you get to hear this whole lovely uh, experience and what breadth of knowledge. 
So on the right here is uh, our our who I would consider the main character, uh, Carl Denham, uh, played by Robert Armstrong. He's actually the character is based on Marion C. Cooper himself, who was a uh, documentarian and experimental filmmaker and war veteran and inventor. So like, unless you actually know who Marion C. Cooper is, Carl Denham doesn't make sense as a character. Mm. Cause you're like, he's a director. Why does he invent gas bombs? (laughs) (laughs) Why are those two things related? (laughs) Well, I feel like, yeah, there, there was a bit more of a uh, adventurousness to the idea of being a director that you were in this whole different field. Sure. And, so it's it wasn't just like, oh yeah, that's the only job you have because it wasn't really considered a <laughs> a stable career. So from what I've heard, this sequence was shot multi-camera, which was not a thing at the time, and they did the whole thing in one take. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And we would consider this one of the earliest creature features, in a uh, way. <laughs> I would I would say it is the earliest creature feature, uh, because honestly, aside from this, you had like the Lost World, which was silent and like yeah, technically it was a creature feature. You had dinosaurs and whatnot, but like this is a step above. This is like again, sound design, score, special effects. Like this is the first. You know, really, I wouldn't call it a kaiju movie just because mm. I feel like that conjures specific images. But right. I'd say it's the first giant monster movie. Oh, I'm sure this had an influence on tons of uh, Japanese media in the long run. But you, you think? <laughs> I guess I never looked in the history of Godzilla and Godzilla uh, and if it was created in response to King Kong. Uh, but I feel like it was created in response to atomic the energy nukes. the nukes <laughs> but i wonder if like it was a combination of those ideas it's funny we actually uh for our tuesday night movie club we've been doing theme months and mm. this past uh july was kaijulai <laughs> um good portmanteau <laughs> yeah um the previous one was well right now we're in sasquagist <laughs> Uh, and we're heading into I'm programming a Marion C. Timber, <laughs> and it's all Marion C. Cooper movies. <laughs> uh, you brought up um, you brought up the score just a little while ago. You felt like this is one of the best scores um, ever. I mean, that's not just me saying that. Like. M- you could interview most composers and the score for this movie will come up as an influence. Mm. Well, and it's it's interesting because... Well, hold, um, real quick. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I just want to point out, so 1933 was the worst year of the Great Depression. And mm. so, like, this women's home... Like, this is a homeless shelter for women. He can't... Like, the theatrical agent won't get him a girl to star in his new movie because he won't say what the movie's about or where they're going. Mm. And so he's like, yeah, I'm going to go find a woman. And he immediately goes to a women's homeless shelter. I mean... (laughs) And not the kind of women he's looking for. (laughs) But you also have to think, like, this movie, um, 
Cooper had actually become the assistant to the head of RKO. Mm. And he managed to, um, I apologize off the top of my head, I cannot remember the name of the head of RKO at the time, but he managed to talk him into letting him make this movie. And it's like the studio was going to go bankrupt. Like this was like their last Hail Mary. And this movie single-handedly put them back in the black. Hmm. Considering that it was the worst year of the Depression and tickets to this movie were like 25 cents, that's pretty damn good. It's funny to think how certain companies that became like mainstays of the entire industry were at a point where they were almost gone. Like even Disney had a point, like which is so hard to think now, but there was a time where it did not look great for that company. I mean, remarkably, uh, Marvel almost went out of business in the 80s. They only stayed afloat by selling the movie rights to all their characters and then have basically struck gold once they got their rights back for all the characters and started making their own movies. (laughs) But um, to to hop back on the the music point and, and also the creature feature point, which is that I would say that if we consider this the first earliest like creature feature, I think the possibly second most important creature feature more in modern history was Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. Which later is on. definitely there's a lot of strong influence on Jurassic Park well, from this movie. Well, and what I was gonna say is that I noticed this is funny, but I like so at one point for Stephen <laughs> Stephen Ray Morris for Stephen Ray Morris's podcast, See Jurassic Right, um, he asked me to do a cover of the of the Lost World theme, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yes. Um, and in trying to do one of the pieces from that score, from what John Williams did for that movie. I noticed a lot of things that seemed very similar or like they were influenced by the music from this mm-hmm. in particular. In fact, I felt like it this was more of an influence on the score of the Jurassic Park Lost World movie than it was on the original Jurassic Park even. So I could see that. It was just if you listen to those side by side, you'll notice that there's some kind of kindred quality between them. Well, and I I think that it's it's like, you know, when you watch the original Lost World, the silent film, they bring a brachiosaur back to London. And then I think that's what Spielberg was trying to pay tribute to by bringing the T-Rex to right. San Diego. Also, the ship that they bring the T-Rex back on is called the Venture, which mm. is the name of the ship in this movie. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like the second Jurassic Park movie was a homage to this and to... um Lost World, obviously, yeah. by the title it had. Um, so, yeah, even even as later on, it was still being an influence on those films. And, you you know, you it's hard to get out of the shadow of what these films established for this type of story of humans dealing with, I guess, gigantic monsters. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to me because... Well, all right, so I don't want to... Part of me doesn't want to talk over the like clear display of sexual politics that we're about to see happen. <laughs> it's not great, especially considering the fact that these two are the romantic leads of the movie. Right. But uh, yeah, again, we have to say this every episode. If you haven't watched this movie before, do not watch <laughs> just, it with us. <laughs> Don't ever watch a commentary before watching the film. 
get I feel like some people need to be told. <laughs> but anyway, watch the film itself then come back to us. Um yeah, well again, I don't think you can see anything from even like 30 years ago at this point without there being something in it where it's like okay try like 15 years ago yeah. <laughs> when like was van wilder <laughs> it's like that doesn't feel all right <laughs> what is what's going on here oh and here we go with the racial politics okay hmm. i have no that's an I'm, american born actor i'm not i'm not saying anything about any of this <laughs> I'm just going to look away. So what's funny is like this movie did so well that they released a sequel to it n- nine months after this one came out. How'd they even make one that fast? Because it's not good. <laughs> Basically, they used a bunch of uh, like sets and creatures and stuff that they had made for the first movie and never got to use. And got a lot of the same actors back. The actor that plays Charlie comes back. And it's like it's a really interesting concept, but it's so incredibly rushed. It, like it's amazing mm. when you can have a movie with the exact same team of people working on it be so terrible. Uh, well, yeah, it show it goes to show that if you're not given the same parameters to work in, the Hobbit, if you're not given enough of a you know. <laughs> Of, of time to prepare things, then yeah, even having all the same people, they're going to have a much harder time achieving the same quality. And are, are you okay there, Dax? I feel I, like you should look after that cough. Hobbit! I'm the Hobbit! I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll... Um, uh, I gotta take, uh, gotta take a lozenge or something. Yeah, there you go. Anyway. This, all, this lozenge looks like a ring. That's weird. Anyway. <laughs> You're just going to beat that one to death, aren't you? <laughs> Deader than a wraith. Um, so what do we got here? I want to bring up an interesting tidbit, not about the movie, but about us and this movie, which is that when we were first trying to record initially a batch of episodes, I believe we did, we attempted this one, right? I think we attempted this one like twice. Because we we started it. And then, like, 20 minutes in, the DVD screwed up or something, and we had to start over again. And then it happened again, like, half an hour later. And I think we were just so frustrated that we ended up not recording it at the time. Or maybe we did, and I don't remember. I... Okay, so to be honest, when you suggested doing King Kong, I was like, well, I always want to watch King Kong. I feel like we did this one before. That's why. <laughs> I can't remember. It's because we attempted to. <laughs> but I feel like we tried again. I don't know. Whatever. I'm happy to be watching it now. Also, I really love like the whole the whole point. So this ship is, uh, they say at the beginning, that it has three times the men it needs to run it. Mm-hmm. And it was filled with enough explosives to blow up the harbor. And it's just like, no one knows where they're going aside from Carl Denham. Mm. The crew doesn't know where they're going. Mm. And like on top of that, you've got this guy walking around. He's wearing a linen suit I and know. a silk tie. I know. Like everybody else, like you don't know like where are all these people sleeping. And it's like he's in a linen suit and a silk tie. He is <laughs> unbothered. And you know what? He threw on the little hat. <laughs> <laughs> the hat that's a little to the side. Well, of course. He wears every hat a little to the side. <laughs> He's cool. To let you know he's not a trustworthy character. Or he can 
I, I, can I, shift. I, mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> he's I'll, aloof. Maybe I'll not trustworthy. Yes. He's just aloof. Aloof. Aloof is definitely the word. <laughs> when I when I was younger, I always wanted to be a Carl Denham style director. Now I'm, you know, <laughs> want to be a decent human being. What's the name of the um, Rick's friend in Casablanca? The French guy. Oh, he's French, right? Yeah. The Claude Rains guy. Yeah, yeah. But he his hat is always a little to the side, you'll notice. Yeah, because he's a crooked cop. Because but he'll like say like I go with the way the wind blows or something like that. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's a nice little touch to make sure that you know, you know, you know where he stands. Crooked cops a little mean. <laughs> so so in Son of Kong, uh the sequel to this movie. Yes. It opens with Denim basically he's skipping the country because he's being sued by so many people and they oh really yeah oh because of what happened right so he joins up with captain anglehorn and like they ship out again and they're just kind of like heading around the south pacific just you know no real destination in mind just carl denham's like i guess this is my life now but they run into the skipper of the norwegian bark that he bought the map from hmm yeah, what would, what of merit do you feel is in the second one, despite it being a rushed mess? I mean, I think it's a really cool idea that the problem is they go back to the island because there's like a rumor of a treasure. And it's like, I don't need that. I don't need the island to have treasure. I don't need them to go back to the island. I would have been perfectly fine if the sequel to this movie was just about Captain Anglehorn and Carl Denham and Charlie just, like, getting into hijinks around the South Pacific. Mm. Like, I don't need you to replicate the formula of the last one. I need you to continue the story. The Force Awakens. <laughs> the Force Awakens. <laughs> that, that cough is getting I, it's, bad. It's, it's terrible. I've... I've tried to see many doctors. I, you know what? I can't I can't say I've ever necessarily agreed with coughs before, but <laughs> and I'm not going to say I agree with them now. <clears throat> but those are some very those coughs make some very interesting points. Uh, oh my goodness! What are we even doing? So, um, I can't remember. Did we? Post our most dangerous game one. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. We, sh- we should do another one for that. We should. It but, got it got to a point where the so much time had gone by, and also got got better at recording, and also it, it, in, in a podcast you're like referencing things that kind of ha- are happening at the time, and so if they don't come out rel- right. relatively soon, it's kind of weird. Right. So when you're <laughs> trying to drop episodes like two years after you've recorded. <laughs> that was how long passed for some of them. Right. Uh, but yeah, with, with Most Dangerous Game, they actually shot that movie to save money, as strange as that might sound, hmm. because they spent so much money making King Kong that they're like, you know what? To save money, why don't we make and release another movie using the same actors in the same sets? Oh, my God. That's... <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, That's and, then, brilliant. and then they used they used like the proceeds from making the most dangerous game to continue to pay for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I verified the name of the guy from Casablanca, the character Captain Louis Renault. Oh, Renault. Renault. Yeah. Renault. Yeah, and you see a little photo here. He's got the hat just a little crooked. Look at that crooked hat. Look at that. <laughs> 
Now, Faye Ray. Well, so uh, no, go on, ahead. Hold on you, quick. you go ahead. We're watching. So that is a true story that happened to Marion C. Cooper. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> How do we feel? I, I guess we will bring up the the PJ remake of this in some capacity. How do, how do you feel about Jack Black being the replacement? I uh, mean, he's he's a he's he's a different character. He's mm. playing it differently. Uh, Peter Jackson even said that, like, you know, he, he wanted to go for more of a Cecil B. DeMille style director. Mm, okay, so like that's that makes what sense. he's going for. Because it felt like that would be a little more of a recognizable archetype director. I guess. I mean, like, again, like I said earlier, like, unless you know who Marion C. Cooper is, Carl Denham doesn't make sense. Right. (laughs) Uh, And this scream is probably the most famous scream. It's nice and clean, too. Again, they have no idea what the hell they're going to go see. None of them know there's a giant a giant ape creature at the end of this or halfway through it. So I've done so much audio editing where I've had to like take clips or sound bites from movies where I don't have access to isolated traps uh traps tracks <laughs> isolated tracks that anytime I hear like a oh, there was that sound bite and there wasn't any background music or anything. I immediately think of how I could place that sound into other things. So I'm going to bear this one in mind that I can okay. I can cut that scream right out of King Kong at some point. The the next time you need to have a woman scream for <laughs> some reason. I'll put it right next to the Wilhelm scream though. <sighs> yes, thank you. Which by the way, they never call it Skull Island in the entire movie. It's never referred to as Skull Island. Skull Mountain. Yeah, they talk about Skull Mountain, but the island is never named. <laughs> so we were uh, right before we got started. I was pointing out to Dax. I have a shelf up here yes. that has uh, there's the the McFarlane Movie Maniacs uh, King Kong statue. It's glorious. Thank you. Um, he's standing on the scaffolding from later on in the movie where he's being displayed in New York. But to the right of it, I have uh, a few books that were actually uh, commissioned and written by Joe DeVito, hmm. who is a uh, he's a you know really great fantasy artist. There's a lot of, like Doc Savage. Uh, also, I want to point out the drawn a, birds. Well, it's a painting of the island. The ocean is real. And the birds are animated. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I can tell that at least the birds were right, hand like, animated. That that <laughs> compositing, that compositing at the time is revolutionary. Yeah, it is very impressive for the time that it was made in. But uh, anyway, I was talking about these Joe DeVito books. Basically, he got the permission from the estate of uh, Marion C. Cooper to write his own sequels to this movie. Oh, okay. But they're not technically sequels to this movie. They're sequels to the novel that was written of the screenplay and released the year before the movie came out as oh. part of the promotion for the movie. Okay. Because I believe Universal owns the rights to the movie, and so you can't just like make stuff about the movie. However, Cooper's family still own the rights to the novel. 
Why is this all so confusing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But like one of the books that I just got, it's a limited edition, like slipcase and everything, came with like a thank you letter from Joe DeVito and uh, King Kong of Skull Island. It's basically the story of uh, how the Kong race got to got to Skull Island, how the wall was built, and like the story of the Islanders and all that stuff. Oh. I was so excited to read it, and then I like I opened it and pulled it out of the slipcase. It is a very large book with very small font. <laughs> like I feel like this this is basically going to be like an academic project for me. And don't get me wrong, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna but like but I'm gonna have to get one of those like magnifier bar things that you like slide down the page. I like it when there's like multiple ones that go in front of, you know what I mean? Where it's mm-hmm. like there's one, two, three, four, five magnifying glasses um, <laughs> quadrupling each other. So, uh, again, what's cool is you got to remember very, very early sound. The microphones they had were not great. So, hmm. the mics we're holding are probably better technology. Not than- even probably, definitely. <laughs> but. This is all live sound from the beach. They did not re-record this. The idea they managed to get this sound this good on a beach with those microphones is ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was ADR. <laughs> I, don't, I should be interested in looking up the history of ADR and sound and how they dealt with it in the earliest days because I imagine sometimes they probably just couldn't even get the microphones near the actors and they probably had to do ADR. Additional dialogue recording. Uh, This wall. Yes. Completely practical. They built this big ass wall. Nice. Um, You know where you saw it in another movie? Um, You know, before you answer that, it does remind me of the Jurassic Park gate a lot. It's supposed to. Okay. I mean, well, the Jurassic Park gate is supposed to remind you of this. Uh, No, no, I know. I know. (laughs) Do you know this movie was based on Jurassic Park? No. Uh, Yeah, it's... uh, Um, actually? Um, (laughs) they were time travelers? Um, this wall appears again in Gone with the Wind during the sequence where they're they're burning through Georgia. Why? Because they burned down, like, a lot of the, uh, like, the the old sets that they had. Oh, And just shot them burning. So literally the same. Yeah, literally they burned this wall down. Okay. For Gone with the Wind. Normally that kind of stuff would annoy me for not preserving film history, but at the same time, it's part of film history. It becomes part of film history yet again (laughs) in that context. That's pretty cool. Uh, I deeply love the outfit that like i love every outfit that carl denham wears throughout this movie (laughs) but like this one right here like i've been looking for that hat i've never been able to find that hat yeah it's like crease not crease but it's like crunt crunt in a (laughs) what's the word i don't know pressed in a certain way at the top and like i've i've people have been like oh it's a panama hat like no it's not i i i know what a panama hat is this is something else <laughs> if any listeners happen to be haberdashers or familiar with haberdashery a haberdasher please let me know what kind of hat that is also a lot of uh, a lot of black actors in this who would go on to have really good careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chief there is played by Noble Johnson. There's a lot of prosthetics on his face, but 
Uh, yeah, he actually went on to have a really great career. Oh. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm happy for... <laughs> I'm happy for anyone who goes on to have a great career <laughs> from from doing something I mean, like this. I'm I'm looking forward to one day having a great <laughs> career. I'm looking forward to having a career. <laughs> got got to reach for those stars let, there, Dex. Let, let's take the modifiers off it. <laughs> all all real people. No effects. I love this. I love how many people are hiding behind these, like, three blades of grass. <laughs> I think we have a slightly around-the-corner angle. <laughs> they were probably but more But even hidden. then, like, watch as they all come out. Like, there's more than you think there is. <laughs> how would you react? Noble Johnson actually comes back for Son of Kong. Oh. For, for like... One scene, and I think a total of like four shots. <laughs> a paycheck's a paycheck, man. Isn't it though? <laughs> this this little kid, kid didn't this get the one memo. kid not moving. <laughs> I like, I love that though. But this notice, is what a little kid would the do. score is matching his footsteps. It is. It's kind of is in the era where, like, I feel like in the early days of sound, a lot of times they tried to use, and especially in silly symphonies and Looney Tunes, like they would use score. For sound effects, in a way. Sure. Almost like you imagine the footsteps by hearing the score playing that way. So my, I'd say my three favorite characters in this movie are uh, Carl Denham, Captain Englehorn, and Jack Driscoll. Okay. Like Jack Driscoll's like the original action hero as far as I'm concerned. But uh, Captain Englehorn here, like... He knows how to speak this language because he's just been around the South Pacific. Like, that's just what he does. He owns a tramp steamer, <laughs> does a bunch of, like, probably illegal shit with it. <laughs> and, like, yeah, he just gets around, hangs out with Islanders. That's, like, his whole thing. <laughs> we'll find out what they're gonna do. There's a lot of, like, really texturally rich... Uh, you know, ground for storytelling here. And like, again, textually rich characters. Like, we may not go into too much depth on like the background of anybody, but you know that they all have a background. Like, mm. they all feel like full-fledged characters. Yeah. I would say that's like one advantage to having kind of archetypes in a movie. Like, I, that was a defense I remember once, I think Rid Ridley Scott gave for Alien, because all the characters in there don't necessarily get a lot of time, but because they're kind of these archetypes, you sort of know who they are quickly. It's almost a shorthand for understanding them to an extent. Sure. And then it gives you room to, like, once you establish the archetype, it means that you can do little pieces of work about, uh, like, character details. Mm. Like, it, I feel like it gives the actors room to really make the part their own. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, I think there's a time and place where, like, a, a, and I don't want to say stereotypical, but just an archetypal character does work. And also, real quick, the uh, the chief just offered to trade six of his women for Anne. Mm. Uh, so here we are with sex and racial politics. Mm. And sex trafficking. And sex trafficking. This movie's got it all. This is <laughs> Share it with your kids.
Um, I mean, this is my favorite movie of all time because I was watching it before I understood the concept of what a movie was. Mm. Like, this is my dad's favorite movie. Anytime he and I are in the same place, we basically will just quote it back and forth to each other, like entire scenes. Hmm. <laughs> walk, whistle and walk away. Yeah, act like nothing's wrong. Act like everything's fine. Just get back to the beach before they cut you off. <laughs> they do. They do it like, the, but for some reason, it feels like they were going to start running any second. There, it's like, get get out of here. <laughs> and here, here we have the development of the romantic subplot to uh, establish why everything else is going to happen. Right. And would we call this movie a kind of a love triangle story in a way? I wouldn't. <laughs> the Peter Jackson one definitely yeah, leans into yeah, it, it being is. that. <laughs> which, which is like, somewhat uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I'd say like the, the Peter Jackson uh, King Kong, which like I'm going to stick to like, I'm going to stick to the rule I set down in what we're now referring to as season one. <laughs> of like, I'm never going to talk trash on any movies, but I, right. will, I will bring up points that I find to be like, Okay, we can discuss this, but like <laughs> points like, of critique, where could we could that have been improved in some way? Well, I I feel like you know because Peter Jackson, like he he loves this movie. No, his he, love is apparent throughout that whole remake. Yeah, and I think that's part of the problem. Hmm. Like this man, he, like he actually owns the original armature of oh, Kong. Oh my like, god! Yeah, that they were stop motion animating, and so like. I think part of the problem is, and I see this in um, uh, with Guillermo del Toro in The Shape of Water, like Guillermo del Toro talked about how when he watched The Creature from the Black Lagoon, he thought that the love story should have been between the creature and the girl mm. because there's all these shots of like the girl swimming and the creature swimming just below her. And like he took that into the Hellboy movies as well by giving like Abe Sapien a whole love story. And then like eventually that evolved into him making the shape of water. And it's just like, cool, man. Like I, I get that that's what you got from this movie. I don't need that. Little, I don't, I don't need you to develop the love story between Kong and Anne. Little did he know that, uh, little did Del Toro know that, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon was uh, just based on the coelacanth. <laughs> and I only know that because I watched a YouTube video the other day talking about it. <laughs> that apparently that was what the screenwriter, because it had been so long that the fact that there was this discovery that a creature that had been long thought to be extinct was still alive. That was actually the inspiring idea behind like, oh, what if there was this monster that was still hidden you know deep in the waters i i also like i i'd say that of of like old school monster movies um i would say that creature from the black lagoon is probably my favorite like 1950s b movie mm. i had i've actually never seen it now that i think about it then we should definitely do it for this it's a really good time uh, the sequels are not great, <laughs> especially the creature walks among us because that's all about like them doing a series of surgeries on the creature so that he can live in human society. And it's like, but why? Hmm. Why are we doing any of this? <laughs> and all of them are, all of them are inferior to Zat, the great, 
the greatest film ever made. <laughs> okay, so wait, what's going on here? Where are we at in the story? Uh, well, the natives just uh, stole Anne. Yeah, they stole her. But she managed to, in the struggle, remove one of their bracelets, and it was left on the deck. Mm. Which will lead Charlie to say one of the most unfortunate and hilarious lines of this movie. <laughs> Okay, I'm not commenting on any of that. Um, so it's it every every line out of Charlie's <laughs> mouth, you're just like, uh, okay, <laughs> all right. I'm okay. Which okay, so in the uh, in the novelization that came out in '32, like I said, it was done as like a promotion for this movie. Uh, Charlie is not a character. The hmm. the cook on the ship is a guy named Lumpy, who. <laughs> <laughs> One of Chewbacca's kids. You're talking about Lumpawaru, <laughs> who in canon is just called Waru. His his full name is Lumpawaru. I thought it was Lumpy Baka. No, it's 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 Lumpy in the Star Wars holiday special. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. Oh no. There we go. Oh All no. Right. Oh no. You okay there, bud? Nah, I'm fine. I mean, there, there's been a few lines that we just kind of glossed over that have just been fucking train wrecks. <sighs> it's like you want to appreciate the history. <laughs> but this is part of it. This is this part, is part of, of the of history. It. I mean, and like I... This is something I say all the time is like you can't expect to like look at things from the past with with today's eyes. Like you just can't. Like, if you nope. do that, you'll never be able to enjoy anything from, like we said, like 15 years ago right. and back. You'll never be able to jo enjoy any well, of it. I remember when I was at, as I was a, I was a student at UC Santa Barbara, um, go Gauchos. Um, <laughs> but we, in the film department there, I, I remember taking a class, you know, strictly on silent cinema. And for the first month, maybe... Of that class, I remember feeling kind of like bored <laughs> with a lot of stuff that we would watch. But as the class kept going, and as you gained context, and as you understood the consistent language between that type of a film and the era it was made in, they became a lot more interesting, and it became more engaging and, and more fascinating. So it definitely, if you're, it's almost like you have to give time <laughs> to a certain genre or era or decade of film in order to kind of appreciate what it is and what it was saying about when it was made. And exactly. Like it's you need to really engross yourself in an era to understand the filmmaking of that era. That's what we're trying to do here. Look at us. We are Look. engrossed <laughs> in this amazing and at times questionable piece of art. I don't know what you're talking about. This movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's socially questionable. Oh, but, but I was saying, uh, the character Lumpy in the book is actually... Can't get over that it's his name. Well, so when Peter Jackson made his movie, he didn't have Charlie either. He had Lumpy, and Lumpy was played by Andy Serkis. That's fun. Yeah, which, like... 
I don't really blame fun. you, Peter Jackson. I don't blame you for being like, maybe we don't have Charlie. <laughs> well, and Andy Serkis plays another big role in in the remake. I'm not I'm not going for that walk with you, man. <laughs> like No, I but on I, your own time. I, I I will praise to me that's one of the the things I like the most about the remake is is his stop motion performance for Kong? I think was not. It wasn't stop motion or <laughs> motion capture. No, I'm thinking because we're watching this. Yeah, I'm thinking. I know. Of, I know. God dang it! No, not not stop motion. His Use motion, your words. His motion capture for. <laughs> so that's the, how video games are done now. This, with stop this motion. mechanism <laughs> they're using to tie her to the columns, I find really interesting. Right, because it's literally just twisting the rope to the point where it's too tight for her to pull, but. It's done in such a simple way that when Kong shows up, he knows how to disconnect her from it. Oh. That's interesting. Look at you people in your sophisticated sacrificial technology. It's simultaneously simple and sophisticated. <laughs> God, those are big doors. Yeah, it's almost like they want Kong. I know. I was just thinking that. Why would you make the doors that big? There's a great robot chicken that (laughs) does like goes over exactly. (laughs) You're asking him to come in. No, those are incredible doors. They are some of the most impressive doors I've ever seen. One of these days when I can afford uh, to buy a house stone. and just do stupid things with my money, uh-huh. I would love to have those be the doors, like the gate to my home. <laughs> <laughs> and and that giant wall? I mean, I don't it. need the wall to be that huge. <laughs> just, you know, large enough to keep out, you know, the riffraff. So I, you want to build a wall. You want to build that. a wall around your home. <laughs> You can't ever say build a wall ever again. Yeah, it's really been ruined, hasn't it? <laughs> so it's interesting to me, this the wall on this side, I don't think it's real on mm-hmm. this side because I saw this in theaters at the Egyptian, which nice. is a, it's a great place to see this. I saw Mononoke at the and Egyptian too. The uh the line of line of natives standing along the top of the wall is very clearly uh, they are composited on there. Ooh, and I think they. Did oh, yeah, the same I can see. I can Anne. see it. I can see it. The yeah. wiggling just a little bit, just a tiny bit. Also, can you imagine I'll, how loud that gong would be to stand in front of? Very. I actually like doing that because I've been watching through a lot of, uh, Star Trek Next Gen and DS Nine and Voyager, and I love like when because the TV shows didn't have like the highest budgets in the world. Here he comes. But you can see those kinds of things every so often with matte lines where it's like, is that, how did they do? Oh, I see. <laughs> I see where they composited it. Uh, Kong's roar is a lion in reverse. Oh. And just so you all know, this is the worst, the worst he will look for the entire movie. It's true. He doesn't the, look great here. The animation gets so much better going forward, but honestly, <laughs> it's really not that bad right now. Right. Well, because that. Okay, this, yeah, because that's the first, a full size head. The first shot was stop motion. Is that the head that you would see at the Universal Tram Tour? No, or, I believe that was the one from the 76 movie. Oh, okay. 
I wasn't sure how old that one was, but that makes sense. So yeah, this probably for, wasn't even. Was it full size? The head that they had here. They yeah, they built uh, a full size head, a full size right arm, and a full size, uh, I believe, right foot. Wow. She is acting the shit out of this. <laughs> so but yeah, wa- watch watch how Kong like detaches her from it. Which, again, you got to appreciate having a stop-motion Kong interact with the real, the real like, sets and the real person. And then, of course, she falls, and then she becomes stop-motion as well. <laughs> I like that he couldn't undo the right one, because it would have required him to come yeah, through into yeah. the foreground to e- do it. Exactly. That was a clever illusion. So yeah, this is why I said stop motion early. <laughs> uh, so you'll notice that his fur moves, and that's because yeah. it's the animator's hands yep. touching him every yep. time they move him. Yep. I actually like that um, to an extent, and that's why I love Fantastic Mr. Fox, because that's, yeah. that's a film that totally doesn't even care. It just is like, nope that shows you that someone was moving the character around. And I actually really enjoy that aesthetic. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Kong is a metal armature that's covered in clay and then covered in uh, rabbit fur. That's cool. I feel bad for the rabbits. I mean, yeah. But they went on to become part of (laughs) cinema history. I'm sure... In their sacrifice, we got this movie. I'm sure if they could comprehend (laughs) the significance their fur had. They're up there in rabbit heaven (laughs) or rabbit hell. (laughs) They were evil rabbits. That's why they were used. Could have been like the Hitler of rabbits. (laughs) They're they're like the Holy Grail rabbit. Just run around murdering everyone. (laughs) All right. So, at what point is the cut scene where, uh, with the boogs? Oh, the spider pit scene? The spider pit. Where would that take place? I will point it out when we get there. Excellent. And it's a scene that, because we brought up Peter Jackson, didn't they make that whole scene yeah, just for so, fun? So, yeah, he so he made... He put the scene into his movie, but then he also uh, got the same style of cameras that they used to shoot this movie, the same style of film that they used to shoot this movie, and then poured over all of these like production stills and tried to, to the best he could, reconstruct uh, what is known as the spider pit sequence. The spider pit sequence was cut from the movie because supposedly it was so grotesque that it just stopped the entire flow of the movie. Mm. That makes sense. (laughs) I, I, I specifically, I love this shot just because it's really hard to tell where the screen is. Yeah. Because it's, you know, obviously that's a stop motion stegosaurus and... 
you know, they're looking at a screen. It's being projected live. Oh my god. Oh my god. Here it comes. <laughs> oh my god. So really, if you think about it, this is the they're basically using the same technology today for things like the Mandalorian. Yeah, that's what's cool. Like yeah. they we've come back around to this. Yes, we have. <laughs> Like, oh. Which which I love because like you know for years everybody talked shit on stuff like this and it's just like well first off this is amazing and then now it's like <laughs> oh no we're just we're just doing it again but with with you know Better. higher def monitors High, higher quality tech is all it really took for this because still a fine idea and in fact in the Mandalorian it had like gained benefit which is that the actors can actually see what they're looking at and interact exactly. with it. But even down to the detail that because they pointed out the Mandalorian's armor is so reflective that you don't have to worry about that. That that, yeah. that those environments are going to be reflected into his armor naturally, which is such a great detail. Watch the uh the movie starts moving before the, the treadmill. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah. It's it's a little it's a little out of sync. <laughs> yeah, the average person didn't know a lot about dinosaurs at the time. <laughs> I'm sure they... Uh, I wonder what it was like for them trying to act this. Oh. I mean, Well, that's the thing. Just like with the Mandalorian, like, they can see this. Like, it's all there. They're reacting to it as they see it. Oh, okay. I don't know why I said that, because that makes sense. <laughs> My brain went defaulting back to green screen thought process for a moment. <laughs> well, and the the technology that would eventually evolve into green screen was also in its infancy. I can't say it was invented for this. I don't remember for a fact that that was the case, so please do not quote me. But it is used later on in this movie. Oh. Yeah. What was the first? Huh. I don't know. My dad could tell you. I can't remember the history. Of... I once I once had a class on color and Technicolor and all those things. Uh, honestly, it might almost be worth it the next time my parents come out to visit that we just do another one of these <laughs> with him. <laughs> just have him explain it. Yeah, because, like, I mean... As as much as I know about this movie, he puts my knowledge to shame. <laughs> yeah, the swamp. Watch out for fastest for, raft construction ever. For leeches. Watch this. Watch how fast they built this raft. And done. It's done. Which also, I love. I love that Carl Denham and Jack Driscoll do not assist in them launching not. the raft. Of course not. Push us, <laughs> take us there. Adventure. It's out there. Do 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 do. We were sailing along on the moonlight bay. That's a remarkably sturdy raft, too, for how fast they had to make it. What what dino fiend is this? 
a plesiosaur? It's a magical Leoplerodon, Charlie. <laughs> I hate it. Blah, 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 blah. But yeah, here this is what I was talking about. You see the outline around them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they took my kidney. So yeah, they, they couldn't see this. This was added in post. I think it was done with an optical printer. Ah. Uh, that's what you get for messing with <laughs> Dino Country. Well, now they've lost their guns and their gas bombs. They're basically defenseless. And it's carnivorous, too. Is it? Or it, is it just pissed? I think it has, like, sharp teeth, if you look. A sharp tooth, if you will. I won't. Is it a Leopleridon? <laughs> what? It's not a Leopleridon. <laughs> I don't even remember. What does the Leopleridon do in that Charlie episode? It just kind of lays there, <laughs> it? just sits it? there, doesn't it? Yeah. Gaze upon its wonder, Charlie. I will say Film Cow has been going strong all these years and is still... So, there, you see, it's it's actually it's a brachiosaur. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess it was just taking a bath or something. <laughs> splish, splash, it's taking its bath. All on a Saturday night. All right, so we have to have people trip. I guess it's understandable. You're running through a a a bog, a a mossy bog, a soggy, a soggy uh, swampy swag. Feel free to help me. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna let you dig with your own my, grave over there with my my unnecessary bubble gumming. All right. So, yeah, they're all real right there. They're all running through this jungle. And this, like, yeah, when the guy starts climbing the tree, he's stop motion. But all of the guys that ran across yeah, the bottom were real. Yeah, I can see that. And now it's compositing live action against the screen of the stop motion. Yeah, this this he's reacting to a screen. He's not, like, composited. Um, yeah, so he's actually acting to that. And you're eating. Also, like I was saying, with uh, Murray Spivak, the guy doing all the sound effects, uh, who had to come up with what do dinosaurs sound like, he also does all of the male screams in this movie. Oh, okay. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I always like that when the sound designer has to get in there and just use their own voice. <laughs> so yeah, you'll watch as he puts her down, she becomes real. Also, there was uh, a short sequence cut from this that when they go out on the log, Mm-hmm. And Kong shows up on the other side. The reason why they don't just go back and get off is because there was a, a Triceratops originally that was also chasing them. Oh. And again, see, the water there is real. I see a matte line there. 
Yeah, I mean, I, we can pick it apart, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you do bear in mind, like, this is the first film that really successfully pulled this off. Well, and honestly, like, I love this movie for the same reason I love, like, Jurassic Park or Avatar, or which I know people have shit to say about Avatar, but <laughs> I enjoy it. I, I won't care. say anything. <laughs> like, I recognize its issues, but whatever. The point is, I really enjoy movies that they have to invent new technology to make. Right. Like, because, oh yeah, I respect. I'll respect Avatar on the level of technical achievement. For right, sure. right, and that's that's what I'm saying. Is like I appreciate when you you have to invent new technology to make your movie because the story you want to tell is too big for our current technology. That's that's huge to me. Uh, and also, where these guys are falling off the log into this ravine, that's where the spider pit sequence right. takes place because they don't die from falling. Like all these guys survive the fall. But and then, then they get eaten by all like the the spiders and crabs and tentacle creatures that live down inside this thing. So that was just a scene to show a bunch of people getting killed in the spider pit who don't escape it anyway. Right. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> for the sake of the movie. At least in the PJ version, some do escape, right? Um. um yes, yes. Yeah. So because, it, uh, like Driscoll ends up down in the pit as well. Yeah. Um. So it makes Which, a little also, more look, sense. Look at this. Like, you got real Driscoll. Kong straight up reaches into that hole. Yeah, it's very convincing. I mean, not, not even necessarily the shots where they cut to the real hand, but just like, even in the, in like the you know, longer shots. Oh, this is like uh -oh. the only creature from the spider pit sequence that is still in the movie. And it's, also, it's adorable. if you watch the uh, the newer Skull Island movie, the one that like takes place around Vietnam, uh -huh. these were the uh, like the bad creatures that Kong was fighting. Oh, the skull crawler things. Okay, were basically just that, but like on steroids. <laughs> skull crawlers, we call them. Uh oh, it's me, the T Rex, here to bite you. I'll stop. I'll stop. We should just dub. We should start MST3King this. I mean, I'll, isn't that what I'll we're be, already doing? I'll be the T Rex. You be Kong. Hey, this is my sandwich. I'm. I'm. I'm not doing this. <laughs> you got. You got Taco Tuesday. You had all the tacos. Anyway, but but again, like. Also, I really do prefer this fight to, the, to the, the Peter Jackson fight. I'd have to see them side by side again, because I do remember being pretty wowed by that fight. Well, that's the thing. Like, that Peter Jackson fight, like, you know, he's fighting, like, four T-Rexes. Right. It's two. It's two. All right. Whatever. But, but like, also, they're not T-Rexes. He calls them V-Rexes, because the idea is that all of these things have been on the island long enough that they've evolved. So they're no longer the same species. That, Velocisaurus Rex? I think it's, like, Venata. So, yeah, I don't know. It but wasn't anyway. an Indominus Rex? Like, I just, I really appreciate the fact that in this, Kong fights like a brawler. Mm. Like, Kong fights like a guy who's just gonna, you know, get into a bar fight. Mm. Like he's in Smash. 
But also, like, it's great that, you know, she's sitting in that tree and all those close-up shots of her, like, she's, again, reacting to the screen. I can see the point, though. I can see preferring this fight over the original one. Or, sorry, this fight over the original one, the remake one. Um, In the sense that the remake one is also kind of like... It's like, uh, we get it. You're good at CG. <laughs> right, right. Uh, there is, there's a point in this where Kong, like, does, like, a, a roll. Like, he grabs the T-Rex and, like, does a roll. And it's where, for a half a second, you can see they forgot to remove one of the, uh, like, the rigs. Uh-huh. Like, it literally just pops up for, like, one frame. Ah, it's so brutal. Wait for the sound. Wait for the sound. Ah. And then he plays plays with it. it. (laughs) Doesn't he do that too in the... (laughs) I can't remember if they do that in the remake. Where yeah, he, like, they do it in the remake. He jiggles the jaw a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and it really is an incredible piece of animation. Because the thing you got you to gotta appreciate, when you're doing stop motion or any kind of like puppety animation, you can't... In normal 2D, you can do pose to pose, which is where you pick an extreme of a pose and then you figure out the broad strokes of the motion and then you in between those things right, once right. you have it all down like literally that's a job the in-betweener yeah is to is doing the grunt work of going from po- from main pose to main pose so keyframes keyframes i said keyframes didn't i <laughs> i thought i did keyframes yes is the correct term um but in this when you're doing stop motion you have to do straight ahead, which is you don't get to keep pose. You just have to go from frame one to frame two to frame three and have all the timing in your head. Yeah. Will, Willis O'Brien, again, he did all of this. And also um, the Marion C. Cooper movie uh, well, that he produced, Ernest B. Shudzak directed uh, Mighty Joe Young which is another great movie with Robert Armstrong. If you get the chance to watch it, I strongly recommend it. But his assistant on that one was... Uh, what, are you, what are you doing? I was just checking the recorder. Yeah, his assistant... <laughs> Ignore me. <laughs> Willis O'Brien's assistant on Mighty Joe Young was a guy by the name of uh, Ray Harryhausen. Ah, which I, I will say, like, and I've gotten into you know a lot of conversations with people about Ray Harryhausen. I I've never been wowed by like Jason and the Argonauts is cool just mm. for the skeleton fight, but like Clash of the Titans and all that, like I'm never really wowed by it because like stop motion to me didn't really evolve. Like mm. every other movie technology evolves with time, and stop motion stayed basically the same from Mighty Joe Young through to Clash of the Titans. Mm. It didn't really evolve at all until you had Phil Tippett doing Go Motion, which again technically came out I think 2 years before Clash of the Titans and they chose not to use it. So, whatever. 
But yeah, go motion gives you that actual motion blur to all of the movements. In fact, they were originally going to be using stop motion for Jurassic Park and change their mind uh, to try out CG. But what they actually did was they adapted Phil Tippett. Well, Phil Tippett was, again, the uh, the supervisor on that as well. Mm. But they adapted his go motion technology to basically feed all of the movements they were doing into a computer. So they were still stop motion animating these puppets, but all that information went into the computer to then move the CG model. Oh my God. <laughs> I think also they had, um, am I mistaken that the, for some of the puppets in this, that there was like a pump that was built into them so that they could get the breathing for some of those like shots. Cause I don't know if it was that dinosaur shot, but you saw is like kind of still breathing. I it would make out. sense. But I think you would only, it would only work for a shot that you were just like, you would film it. You wouldn't do it frame by frame. Right. But, so right. I can't remember if that was for this or not. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, um, basically about half the crew of the ship is now dead. Yeah. <laughs> which means... Which means... He just looks so huggable. I want to hug him and pet him and love him. <laughs> and squeeze him and call him my very own. And I will name him George. <laughs> I have to say, like, when I was a kid and they would have the, that character type in, like, a Looney Tunes or whatever, it it's Bef like... You, before you read of Mice and Men? Before I read of Mice and Men, it's like, oh, that's funny. And then you actually read of Mice and Men and you realize how in poor it's taste... so dark. <laughs> how terribly in poor taste it is to have that character in, in, in anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, Steinbeck knew how to be depressing so uh, like they're gonna cut back to that distance shot again and like i so the water in the back is real you see something swimming in it mm -hmm. you got this bubbling stuff up here in the foreground you got smoke and a stop motion puppet like the compositing in this is so goddamn good like how yeah. do you have any of those things in the same shot as a stop motion puppet and then have real people interacting as well. Again, this is 1933. There's a lot of stuff that, like, I know how they did it, but, you know, the average person watching this, not a clue. Like, this is, this is still... Like, this is the definition of what they would refer to as movie magic. Yeah, even now, like, you've got stop-motion characters moving in front of a live-action and another live-action element in front of the stop-motion there. Like, so... Yeah, the the masking and the actual layering of different elements at the time would have just been a nightmare logistically. I, I have After Effects, and I couldn't even figure out how to do, sometimes how to layer some of this stuff. So the way that the the two actors are in this is basically there's like a an alcove with a piece of uh, like rubber, almost like a rubber glove material stretched over it. Uh -huh. And it's being rear projected. Like their performance is being rear projected into the model where they're actually shooting all the stop motion stuff. That's fine. So they're projecting it one frame at a time. 
as they're also animating the puppets. Oh my God. And even crazier than that is that every once in a while, the material would heat up so much that it would just snap and oh, they no. would lose all of the shit they had just animated oh, no. because they'd have to go back and redo it. That happened in a way with, um, I want to say there was like a very long, because it's not, it, stop motion kind of also applied sometimes to 2D animation, particularly if you were doing um, multi-plane camera. So you had to frame by frame shift elements and backgrounds to get a multi-plane effect. Um, and there was a, particularly complicated shot towards the end of Fantasia that I think halfway through shooting it, there was like an earthquake or something. And so they had to start the whole thing over. And wow. then there was some other issue that happened during the second one. And they just went, screw it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it was something like that where they, they had to like, just hope that <laughs> the shot was still okay or something, but it, it took them a few times just going through trying to get this final shot for Fantasia um, but yeah, if you're, you know, if your elements get moved in the middle of shot, I feel like now because you have like dragon frame or stuff like that, you have an easier time being able to match it. Yeah, I get it to match back up. Um, but yeah, if if it was moved, oh well. Okay, so watch this. This is one of the most complex and impressive and, you know, questionable sequences in the movie. <laughs> because he's going to start undressing her. It's the real woman in a real full-size hand that they are projecting onto a screen and animating the stop-motion Kong in front of yeah. and syncing up him pulling the cloth off with them just removing it with strings on set. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> the fact that it's as seamless as it is is very impressive. And I'm so glad we were able to figure out technology to convincingly make a giant gorilla <laughs> undress a woman undress a woman i mean like this is the kind of stuff that i hear a lot of people talk about like they don't like watching old movies because like oh they're, they're unrealistic like well first off marvel <laughs> movies are unrealistic let's not let's not get into that but like there's a lot of really impressive shit that is worth your time and not just like impressive and like, well, we wouldn't have what we have today if it weren't for this, which we wouldn't. But also, this is still really cool. This is still really impressive to look at. Well, and it is the expression, it's an artistic expression of all these people at the time. This is what they could do with what they have. And I think there's something intrinsically interesting about that. I mean, I would agree with you. I th I. I do, however, feel there are a lot of people that that means nothing to them. Sure. <laughs> I don't think... It's like any any creative out there listening, like, <laughs> you understand. But it's like you... I don't know if anyone who doesn't try to do this stuff does actually fully get sometimes how hard it can be <laughs> to make something sure. especially to make it on the scale so this is one of my <laughs> one of my favorite bits of continuity in this is like you can see the wall and the ship in the distance that is nice yeah like that's a level of detail that they didn't have to go to 
but I really appreciate that they did. How many dinosaurs does Kong murder in this movie? Are we on like four at this point? Uh, I believe this is the third because the humans killed the stegosaurus. That's true. That's true. But also, I'm just uh, uh, somebody I knew in college once commented that like this is just Kong's commute. <laughs> like he just has to like murder his way to and from his home. Yeah, they didn't have to put the ship right there. They really didn't. They didn't have to. That could have just been like generic jungle all the way out into the ocean. But like they put the wall there, they put the ship there. And it gives you a sense of how far they are from safety. Yeah, they got to cover all that distance again on foot. And she's just a, a city girl from New York. Well, if Kong ain't no dummy, he's going to pull him back up. Da, 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 da. Yeah, the score really does fill you with dread during a lot of these scenes. Oh, jeez. Oh, freaking... Barely missing the rocks. Barely. <laughs> You can't necessarily hit water from that height and not be injured. <laughs> but it's fine. It's a movie. With Again. A giant. There's a giant ape. Giant ape. <laughs> giant ape. And there's dinosaurs everywhere. I'll let it slide. And then they get back. <laughs> Boy, it's been a minute. Doesn't he look a little bit like Seth MacFarlane? A tiny bit. <laughs> Just a little. I mean, if they were ever going to uh, try to adapt these Joe DeVito sequels, I think it'd be very fun to have Seth MacFarlane play him. <laughs> Just fucking have those branches hit her in the face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And actresses had to go through some terrible shit back in the day. <laughs> they still do. <laughs> do you know the one of um, Mr. Driscoll and the lady? Oh my. <laughs> and the lady. The lady! <laughs> um, Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> do you know the, but is it... Um, fucking... She says before passing out. <laughs> I'm okay. <sighs> That's what a huge flask. I, I you're gonna need a huge flask. But what was it? The Griffith film. Griffith. Hold on, I'm gonna get my phone so I can have names correct here. You talking about uh, intolerance? No, 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 no. I'll <laughs> the Babylon setting that is impressive. And this this is where Carl Denham becomes kind of a dick. I love just how New York all of these guys are. 
Da-da-da-da-da-da. Ow, that gong is loud. I just noticed for the first time that that native, uh, the actor playing a native, he's jumped down and pulled the top off of this thing of chickens. Oh, yeah? And his wig got caught on the uh, on the cage. So, like, as the cage lifted up, his wig got taken oh, no. right off with it. <laughs> I, I have seen this movie so many goddamn times and never noticed that. If only we hadn't built these Kong-sized doors. <laughs> it's really questionable. <laughs> Why did you make them so big? Okay, yeah. I, f I found the thing I was looking for. It was Way Down East by D.W. Griffith. Yes, the birth of a nation <laughs> director. Yeah. Um, but he made a film where there's a scene in it where this woman is sitting on a iceberg. Oh my God, these yeah, doors. That match shot right there. That's pretty crazy. Um, but just the quick thought is that there was this woman, the main actor, oh, what was her name? Was it Lillian Gish? Oh my goodness. Um, I think it was Lillian Gish, but just like her hand was in this icy cold water for this one shot. And to the point that she lost some feeling in some of her fingers. I heard about that, yeah. Because of, and it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> Again, look at this interaction between the screen and the actual actors. Later on, they start throwing spears at him. It's, it's really impressive. The little kid not getting out of the way again. A different little kid. Oh, not one of you could grab him. <laughs> Screw this yeah, kid. Yeah, here you go. Watch this. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. It's convincing. Uh... Oh, man. Yeah, and it's just mixing the right shots. I feel like Jurassic Park kind of did the same thing in a way. And obviously, you just replace stop motion with CG for Jurassic Park. But they knew sparingly in JP when to use Again, CG rendered stop motion. Yeah, essentially. Man, fuck your house. And for the full-size foot. Oh. Uh, left foot. I said right earlier. It was uh, a left foot. It was a left foot. I just want the Terry Gilliam foot squish sound when he steps on things. <laughs> oh, man. What, why are you doing that, Kong? Is there a reason for that? Was that necessary? 
Is any of this necessary? I mean, he's pissed. <laughs> but he's just trying to get her, isn't he? Yeah. So, like, why is he spending time brutally murdering these tinier, I don't know. I mean, they threw spears at him. That's true. And attack the ones throwing spears. It only took one of those gas bombs to knock out Kong. <laughs> I was just scanning Wikipedia and I kind of undo my own point here where it says uh for <laughs> for way down east gish's hair froze and she lost feeling in her hand from the cold it was her idea to put her hand and hair in the water an image which would become iconic <laughs> damn it damn it lillian gish <laughs> i was trying to defend <laughs> defend you here that's what you get <laughs> that's what right you get gish. for your art and then we just cut back we did it i also i, I love the the theater march here so this is kind of interesting because it's sort of um through the it's like twenty dollars <laughs> um because in a lot of films it's like about you leaving the normal world to go to the strange world the fantasy world and then returning home right but this story kind of carries that back similar to Jurassic Park 2 it carries the problem back with it right to home <laughs> and well, so the conflict continues it's like the hero's journey the return with the elixir except that the elixir kills people <laughs> uh this is actually the shrine auditorium in Los Angeles very nice See, at least they'd like say something about it because otherwise it's like, why are they, why would they be there? You know, <laughs> why would on earth would they come there? <laughs> but how long, how long could you keep this up? Not even a night is the answer. (laughs) 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 I'd like to also bring up the uh, Clone Wars episode. Uh, With the Zillow Beast? With the Zillow Beast that is clearly influenced by this whole film as well. Yeah, it's it's basically they're just like, what if we did King Kong and Godzilla and then set it in Star Wars? 
It goes on for a while, too. It's it really like does. It's like three episodes spent on that thing. And it ends in much a similar way, unfortunately. And the Chancellor being a supreme dick in I'm, all of his decision when he making. Says, when he says that we've knocked some of the fight out of him since you last saw him, it's like, I really wonder what they did. <laughs> None of it could have been good. Right. Da, 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 da. It's a nice curtain. Uh, apparently, that's as far as I know, that's uh, still the same curtain in the Shrine Auditorium. Really? Today. Oh my goodness. That's cool. Jeez. Horrible deaths. You'd think you'd want to do this last, right? I guess so. Why? Why? Because. <laughs> Well, like, are you really gonna like reveal Kong and then start showing people like a slideshow and telling them about what happened? <laughs> oh man. Okay, so what did they do? They, like, what was his plan for the entire show? That's my question. Yeah. Now that you've revealed him, what what happens? Now what? Look at him. Yeah, why wouldn't you just make it a zoo? <laughs> why would you make it a, a stage production? <laughs> Look at him. He's big. <laughs> do, do, do. So now we're just watching the movie. Yeah, no. I, I, <laughs> I, I love this movie. And... As always feels the sign of a good one when you start getting quiet and it's like, yeah, this is like been a whole ride and adventure. That is a very nice suit that he has on, though. I'm telling you, everything say. this man wears through this movie is great. Like that tweed three piece he had on at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Forget about it. I love the white tie against the against the white undershirt. Oh, a white tie is like a whole other level. Like, <laughs> people people think black tie is fancy. White tie is the next level above. <laughs> I'm not making that up. That's actually a thing. You're very, very fancy if you got a white tie reception. Yeah, white tie is like the highest level of class. <laughs> and he does look dapper- and like tidy throughout the whole movie too. Like oh, he, oh, well, except for you know towards the end of them being on the island. <laughs> but even then, he kind of looks better kept than everybody. He's 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 rugged. Why'd you let them there? Oh uh, yeah, we better run. It's time for another good idea, bad idea. <laughs> good idea, not this. <laughs> bad idea, exactly this. Oh, man. And now you've got a stop motion ape running around town, wrecking doors. Why were those doors so big? They had to get him in there somehow. <laughs> What do you think they'd do? Cut them up and reassemble them? 
not how ape creatures work. <laughs> what is the death count? He's back to his old tricks now. <laughs> oh, didn't even eat him. He just threw him. Um, I imagine, too, for the era and time that it was made, that this was extremely cathartic in a way. Because things weren't great. <laughs> things weren't fab. If I remember the correctly, 30s. the woman you just saw looking out the window, I think she's Gary Cooper's wife. Oh, really? <laughs> now, why haven't why hasn't anything ever echoed this imagery ever since this movie? Why hasn't anyone ever done something similar to this? In any context. You mean, why haven't people done this to death? <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, this movie has been imitated so much and so often by so many people. I think it's really important to, from time to time, sit down and watch just this. Watch the original movie. Oh my God. Yeah, because then you do get context for it. You could have, like, never seen this movie, and you would understand all of this sure. in some shape or form. Also, I think it's funny that they just went to the hotel across the street from the theater, and he's like, you're safe now. I'm like, is she? In this windowed room. You, you could have <laughs> gone literally anywhere else. <laughs> she probably would have been safer stay, staying in the same, like, staying in the theater. Kong went outside, stay inside. There's a fun moment in Yellow Submarine that does this shot when they're opening the doors and then they're just like, oh, it's, it's not here and they just close it while this is happening. <laughs> Always makes me laugh. Go listen to our Yellow Submarine episode from season yeah, one. that was a ride. <laughs> da, 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 da. It's all connected. Um, it does take him a very long time, though, to climb this building. How fast do you want him to climb it? <laughs> da, 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 Takes place when it was made. Yeah. That's right, because they were showing the poverty <laughs> earlier yes. in the film. <laughs> I remember things. I'm I'm proud of you. <laughs> well done. Bravo. <laughs> now can this film also be blamed for the damsel in distress? Oh no. For uh in movie, well, no, I guess, yeah, you can't lay that solely on Kong. Well, I mean, you are you forgetting about the perils of Pauline? In 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 Donkey Kong? No, 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 I'm kidding. Is that why her name is Pauline? I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the perils of Pauline was a uh, extremely long running silent movie serial series from back in the day. 
Like, whenever you see, like, you know, the mustache-twirling villain tying a woman to railroad tracks... Really? That's where that comes from. Is that why, in because in Donkey Kong, in the original Donkey Kong, it isn't Peach. It isn't actually, like, Princess Peach, who's the one that's up, like, kidnapped by, by Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. It's someone named Pauline. That would make sense. <laughs> That's funny. That's that's where they they took the name from for her. So this sequence here was actually like the last thing they shot because they needed they basically needed another reel of the movie because it wasn't long enough. I I well I think it it ended up being like 13 reels and you're like, "Yeah, that's not good luck." <laughs> sure. <laughs> Make a whole other sequence. And in this sequence, like, several people actually broke bones. I mean, I really feel like they should... Oh, Jesus. I really feel like they should have added an ice skating scene. Oh, my God. I think that would have extended it just enough. (laughs) Spider-Man wasn't there to save you this time, train. But, yeah, when he, like, pulls the train down... All these people, like, falling on each other. Like, several people broke bones. Oh, no. Didn't they know there was a giant ape? No, but for real, how did they how did they do that then? They just like tilted a <laughs> people getting stepped on and shit. Oh jeez. None of this is necessary. Okay. Take two. Climb this building. How do they know what he's doing? (laughs) Thank you, Captain Obvious. That is all. (laughs) Aeroplanes. What? Nobody else thought of aeroplanes? (laughs) But also, recognize there's a lot of variables to that plan. (laughs) If he should put her down, and if they can fly close enough to shoot him without hitting her. Yeah. What are you going to do with these crop dusters? Well, this is uh, post-World War One, pre-World War Two. That's true. Um, biplanes like that were the war planes of their day. I will say, iconic. In fact, the uh, the Red Baron mm. uh, flew a uh, Fokker Tri-Wing. Snoopy? Yeah. No, Snoopy shot down the Red Baron. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. I'm so sorry. Back at the turn of the century in the clear blue skies <laughs> over Germany. How could I forget? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, I like you can see the planes coming in in the distance. They look like burbs. Flying in a V-shape. I saw birds flying in a V-shape on my way here. And uh, one of my favorite details in this entire movie, those are the two directors. Ah! Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shudzak. Uh, Shudzak, <laughs> they actually met... Um, Shudzak was his cameraman back when he was shooting documentary films. And uh, yeah, so basically, I don't remember which one of them said it, 
but it was basically like, yeah, we put his ass up there. We're gonna bring him back. We down. should be the. I was gonna say them. They should be the ones to kill him. <laughs> that's that's fun. <laughs> no, I love that. I think uh, that's half the fun of making a movie is finding excuses to stick yourself in there at some point. Well, and uh, Marion C. Cooper is the one who's actually flying the plane. Shoot, Zach's the one manning the gun <laughs> because Cooper was a uh, a fighter pilot. Wow. In fact, before this, before any of this, before he was a filmmaker, he was actually shot down, I believe, over Poland. Oh, my God. His plane was on fire. He had to land it with his knees because his hands were like completely burned up. And he managed to land it, and both he and his uh, co-pilot survived. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting is because I feel like nowadays with film, it's very like, you go to film school, you learn to be this thing. But at the time, this was an industry where people of all walks of life kind of were coming in to form it right. and so you would have people who had done stuff like that with their careers and lives and it would seep into the things they were making in various ways and uh you get an extra sense of of uh say i guess realism or accuracy yeah i mean like at, at its core this movie like the basic structure of it was how they used to go about making their documentaries like just, you know, we're going to load up a bunch of cameras and crew. We're going to go to an exotic location and we're going to shoot some, shoot some shit. And, like, that's it. <laughs> and, like, that's the thing is, like, basically they were like, what if you were to have somebody who was like Marion C. Cooper and he happens to find, like, this remarkable thing? Let's make a movie about that. And everything else is just, like, how they fucking did it at the time. <laughs> all you kids out there if there are any kids listening check out the classics watch king kong oh oh no he's getting sleepy no don't fall man this is not a good time He's like, what's this red stuff? That's supposed to be inside me, right? Uh, although, you know, of all the creature features, is it still, is Kong still the most sympathetic? Or you feel bad for him on some I level? mean, I feel like good creature features, you do feel bad for them when they die. But like, Kong's an asshole. Like I, I, I feel sympathetic <laughs> for the fact that like he was stolen from his home and brought here and has no idea what's going on. But beyond that, he's a dick. He does some some shitty things. Like I love this movie. I love Kong. I am very aware of who he is. Because <laughs> no one deserves this. And really, this is like a Shakespearean death right now. It takes him like a full five minutes to die. Boom. Oh my god! Boom. Ow! Boom. God, the ragdoll physics as he's going off, and then you have the score creating the sound of him hitting the ground. Yep. Boom. 
<laughs> those strings come in awful quick there. It's the love theme. How is her dress not dirty? <laughs> At all. Shut up, Dex. <laughs> I've got to say the line. Let me through. No. Beauty killed the beast. Dun dun. God, I love this movie. The end. Nice art deco y kind of pattern there for the credits. Radio pictures. Dun, dun, dun. And the cast of characters. Yeah. You can see all. Fay Andero. So, what's your takeaway, Dax? Leave the giant monkeys where you find them. I mean, yeah. Really, leave most things where you find them. <laughs> well, is it, is it have an anti-colonialism, anti-imperialism vibe to it? Because it's very, like, also with them, you know, showing up with this completely different culture and trying to just kind of invade their way of life a little bit. So one of the things I find both <laughs> fascinating and annoying about the, like, I, uh, not fandom, but just around, like, the the critique world around this movie mm -hmm. is all of the things that people say like, Oh, it's a metaphor for this. It's a metaphor mm. for that. And like, if you actually listen to Cooper talk, he's just like, yeah, I had a dream about what if a giant monkey attacked New York? <laughs> and it's like, it's not a metaphor for anything. Like, there, like yes, you can apply other things to it. You can use it as a metaphor for certain concepts, but at its core, he just wanted to make a movie about a giant monkey. Right. It's when people try and say, like, Watership Down is about communism or something. And it's it's like, no, it's about rabbits. <laughs> it's about rabbits and their society. It's not like there's no greater <laughs> message here <laughs> that, that the author intended. Um, but, yeah, it's it's I just... I wondered if that was a thing that they were thinking about, but probably not <laughs> from yeah. what you just said. So um, it's just, yeah, it's this giant monkey. Well, if we go and get him, bring him back home and shit goes cray. Um, yeah, it's, wow, it's an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, it's uh, literally half as long as Peter Jackson's. Why is his so long? I do not understand. They had, they had to have uh, time for all that ice skating. <laughs> I like, but I desperately wanted a cut down version of the PJ one. I, I I wanted someone to take it and just like make it move faster. And it unfortunately, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going off on. <laughs> I'm going off on 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 Peter Jackson here. I well, have so much respect for everything he's done. Well. Shifting gears. Yes, anyway. <laughs> uh, I would love to hear what you guys have to say. Like, honestly, what do you think of this movie? Again, hopefully you watched it before you watched it with us. But, 
Yeah, I really want to hear what you guys think. Again, this is my favorite movie of all time. I'm not expecting you to love it, but, you know, give it a shot. Give it a go. See if it I say at the end of the commentary track. <laughs> Give it you. <laughs> we recommend this movie that you just watched wholeheartedly. But uh I mean again, I I still find it very funny that I've been told by some people who do listen that they listen to us without the movie, like without syncing us up, just listen to us like in their car or whatever, which is hilarious and strange. And God bless you, you weirdos. Thank you. No, no, thank you for doing that. I do, I do apologize though for the times we're just being quiet. But oh hopefully. no, they know what they signed up for. <laughs> but uh, shall we plug our pluggables? A plug. Potent pluggables. I, I've uh, been listening to a lot of Robert Evans uh, behind the bastards, and oh. they use the phrase "plug your pluggables." Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We can plug our pluggables. Um, I just uh, my only pluggable really at the moment is just I'm at Dak Schaefer on on the Twitters and the Instagrams, and uh, and yeah, I'm just I, I've been off the grid for. A large chunk of time <laughs> in this past year. I literally just got a hold of him like a few days ago. <laughs> I've been I've been gone, um, but I am trying to hop back into the grid and do things again um, because it's time. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Just follow me on the social meds and uh, you, Adam. Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> A number of pluggables. Uh, for one thing, <laughs> I'm on the social medias as at Dungeons and Daleks, the letter N, mm -hmm. Daleks. And then, uh, yeah, you should get, check out my website, ofdistantlands.com. You can see my short films. You can pick up a copy of my novel, which I strongly recommend. But also, uh, depending on when this episode drops, it may actually already be live. But mm. I'm going to be doing a uh, Kickstarter to fund the, uh, we're going to be doing a adaptation. I hesitate to call it an audiobook uh, because it's not just an audiobook. We're doing a full cast and we're using holophonic sound. So, like, as you're listening to it, you will be, like, the sound will happen around you. You will be in the middle of the action. It's beyond like listening to a movie, it's you are inside of the story. What's the type of audio called? Uh, holophonic holophonic or uh, also Bin known as binaural binaural yeah uh but yeah check it out and if you're feeling generous i appreciate any donations towards making this i think this is going to be a really cool project um if for no other reason actually i can say now that we're gonna have uh becca pruitt who is an actress i've worked with a few times and is now uh she was in resident evil village Ooh, yeah so she her, her stars shine a little brighter these days but she's gonna be coming back to join me on this one so yeah check it out and yeah we'll put a link in the description all the links for for all it. the descriptions, <laughs> but it's a cool. I, I've heard the trailer for it. It is very neat. I am in the trailer for it. In fact, <laughs> uh, we can drop the trailer at the end of this podcast, Let's... so you guys can get a sense of it. Uh, I do strongly recommend if you are not already listening with headphones, pop on some headphones for the trailer because that's where the binaural audio is really going to sing. It does make a big difference, and uh, but yeah, have uh, screw it. Let's play it. Uh, right at the very end here, and you can 
hear Adam's lovely pitch. For are we going to include the pitch part, or we're we just going to play the trailer? No, nah, let's just do the whole thing. Let's play the, play the whole thing. play the whole thing. We'll hear Adam's lovely pitch, and then you'll hear me screaming as an army guard at some point somewhere in there. Uh, mercenary, <laughs> mercenary. mercenary. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that was the the couple words I threw together as some douchebag uh, sh- holding a gun. That's Come to think that. of it, this is the second time I've cast you as a douchebag holding, <laughs> holding a, a gun. gun. Yeah, for your short. Always back. Which, which you can see, uh, Old Flames, you can see that on my website. You can see Dax dressed in full tactical SWAT gear. We'll include a link to that, too. Oh, no, Why it's, not? It's all on the website. It's all on the website. Um, but, yeah. Thank you for listening, as always. Uh, I am and continue to be and shall remain Adam. <laughs> and I forever will uh, try to be Dax. And... Uh, Keep, Keep watching, watching movies. movies. Nailed it. Yep, perfect. <laughs> Listen to this trailer. All right. Hey, everybody. It's Adam from Cinepraisal, the film nerd friends for people who don't have film nerd friends. Uh, I'm actually here to talk to you about my book. I wrote an adventure novel. It's called Distant Lands of Sand and the Men Who Died There. It's very much in that uncharted Indiana Jones Tomb Raider vein but with detailed travelogue portions based on my own travels. Uh, It's got adventure, intrigue, mystery, romance, and some just absolutely amazing food. And we're actually launching a Kickstarter because we're adapting it into not just an audiobook, but it's going to be its own audio adventure. We're talking a full cast of professional actors, original score, but what's really special, actually, I'm going to just give you a taste. If you're already wearing headphones, great. If not, I recommend them because this is pretty cool. Okay. Ready? This is called holophonic or binaural audio. Notice how you can hear as I move around you? I can move in close, whisper in your ear, or I can move across the room and shout, hey! But what does this have to do with my book? Follow me. Welcome to Barcelona. Ooh, hey, watch out. You gotta be more careful. Follow me. We're right outside La Boqueria. It's a gorgeous indoor market, but there's a restaurant I wanna take you to. Here we go, right over here. Grab a seat. Bon dia, very good. Que te agradaria hoy? Hola, dos cervezas, por favor. D'accord, terrible. Gracias. This is what I wanted to show you. You see, my book, it's a little bit Indiana Jones, but it's a little bit Anthony Bourdain. Dos cervezas. Gracias. De res. Yeah, there you go. Salud. Ah, crap. Don't look. Remember when I said it was a little bit Indiana Jones? Well, let's just head out the back. Don't worry. Just act natural. There they are. Shit. Run! Free! Come on, this way. Stop till you get to the roof. Keep 
moving. Ho ho ho! That is a long way down. Give it up. There's nowhere to go. Control, you got him. Ah, the hell with it. You ready, Sundance? Aim for the onyx. So what'd you think? Wild, right? That's what we're gonna do for the entire audiobook. We're not only gonna have a narrator, we're gonna have an entire cast playing every character. Sound design that's gonna put you in the middle of it. This is more than just a book. It's more than just a movie you listen to. This is an adventure that you get to be inside of. If you're intrigued, check out my website, ofdescentlands.com. There you can pick up a copy of the book and keep up with news as we approach the launch. Thank you very much. And keep watching.